Like a big knife playing in the street Gonna be a big man someday You got mud on your face You big disgrace Kicking your can all over the place Singing We will, we will rock you All right, welcome to The Break Room, episode 10. Today, today, I'm lucky enough to have two professional MLB pitchers who were both born and raised within 15 minutes of each other here in Houston, Texas. Both ended up on the mound at Texas A&M and now climbing the ranks of professional baseball. I'd like to introduce Southpaw pitcher in the Tampa Bay Rays organization, John Doxakis, and right-handed pitcher for the Cincinnati Reds, Christian Roa. <clears throat> both born and raised in Houston, both former Aggies, both pitchers, and now both partner with Turtle Box Audio, which we'll, we will discuss later in depth, and now both headed straight to the show. We have a very vast discussion today from MLB rule changes, life as an up-and-coming big leaguer, off-field life as a professional athlete, personal branding, and finally the best speaker company on earth, Turtle Box, which like I said, we will discuss more in depth later. But first, I promise you after you listen to this podcast, you will, you will want to go straight to TurtleBox website, www.turtleboxaudio.com, and buy one of the best speakers the market has to offer. Listen, Doc started telling me about, about TurtleBox speakers about six months ago, and what I like about the guys at TurtleBox is they put the speaker to test against literally every other speaker ever made to make sure there is no stone left unturned. And TurtleBox towards the speaker plays for days. With its monster-sized nine-cell lithium-ion battery, you and the crew can play 50-plus audio, 50-plus hours worth of audio at a comfortable level. Or if you want to completely jam out at the construction site, by the pool, on the boat, you can crank a turtle box speaker to full blast for six-plus hours. And even when you're running low, there's a five-step battery level indicator, so you'll always know how much power you have left. Finally, do not worry about the climate. You bring your turtle box speaker in. It is completely waterproof, dustproof, and impact resistant. Are you looking for the loudest, most durable, waterproof speaker available? Go get your new speaker today at www.turtleboxaudio.com. All right, let's get it started. So John does have one year under, under his belt in low way after being drafted in the second round of 2019, where he had a phenomenal start to his career. He pitched 12 games with a 1.93 ERA. Christian, you were drafted in the second round a year later, right in the middle of this pandemic. As far as preparation for the draft and the unknowns that came with the pandemic, what was it like going through this process like no other this past year? Yeah, thanks for having us on, Will. Um, just going through this process during the pandemic was a little different, obviously. Um, going four weeks in, four starts in, and then kind of season getting cut, things going on across the world. It's obviously a little shocking. And you don't really know how to handle it at first, but kind of as we transgressed and got to talking um, kind of with my agents and teams, felt comfortable that either we were going to get picked up um, where we wanted to or we are going to go back for another year at A&M. So it was kind of a win-win situation, and it just happened that I did get picked up and feeling like we're in a good spot now. And, John, you had a, a ton of momentum swinging your way after a great first season in low A. How did you remain patient and stay ready during the pandemic? Oh, honestly, it was pretty tough, man. Like, uh, you know, you go out and have a great year just like you prepared for, and then you go out to spring training the next year for a week and just get sent home, and it's kind of like, where do we go from here? Uh, you know, for a little bit I felt lost, like, is this going to be a wasted year or whatnot? And, you know, the Rays did a great job of just 
they kept harping on us like it's not going to be a wasted year for development. We're going to interact all the time, Zoom calls. And, I mean, it got to the point where we were – this was mid-quarantine. We're sending in videos of bullpens and whatnot, and they're interacting with us every week, which helped a lot. Um, and so going into this year, you know, it's just like got to keep your head down and do the same thing and, uh, you know, worry about the things you can control. All right, let's shift over some MLB news that's going to impact the both of you in a significant way. Uh, the MLB rule-changing experiments in the minor leagues uh, is going to impact pitching in a big way. Pickoff moves could be headed out the door. This year in high-A minor league ball, they will be experimenting with a rule that requires pitchers to step off the rubber. Now, Christian, I know you probably have some nasty pickoff moves up your sleeve as a righty, but this rule change, if put in place, would almost exclusively affect lefties like John. John, what do you think about not being able to use the old quick snap to first? Uh, It's funny, man. This rule actually, I think they were going to tinker with it last year. And so we're at spring training like for that week. And right off the bat, we were practicing it because, you know, you're used to just lifting your leg and going over to first. But even for that, you have to completely disengage the rubber, which means pick your back foot up and put it down before any other body part moves. And so it's kind of like, you know, I think bases are a lot more bases are going to be stolen. You know, they're, I think they're trying to bring more offense into the game. And honestly, it's tougher on guys like Christian that have to use the quick move over to first um, to get guys out. Like you can't do that jump spin or nothing like that, and they'll balk you on it. Um, so honestly, Christian, like I think y'all are going to be affected from it because when we were practicing it, man, it was weird. Like you, you had to basically do it in slow motion and figure out the movement to not get balked. Yeah, Christian, what do you think about it? Because when it was experimented in the Atlantic League in 2019, the stolen base percentage went up 70%. Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely going to have an impact on stolen bases and offense altogether, um, which is kind of a goal of the MLB. They've come out and said that. But I think that, you know, you have to adjust like anything. There are rule changes in the game, and you can either kind of sit around and mope about it or you kind of have to adjust. And I think one positive that comes from it is that people that don't walk a lot of guys are really going to be rewarded because if you're walking guys and they're automatically on second base, well, then that's eventually you're going to give up more runs. That's just a fact. And so for me, I try to, like, look at it, hey, I just need to be more efficient on the mound. I need to make sure I'm not walking as many guys because – the guy gets on first base, I want him to earn it. If he gets on second base, I want him to earn it. I'm not just giving him a free bag. And for listeners who are having trouble uh, visualizing the, the kind of pickoff move we're talking about, go to YouTube and Google Andy Pettit's 1995 ALDS Game 2 pickoff moves. Uh, it's such a deadly weapon like John's, and and um, you know, like you said, the MLB is citing that it could lead to more action-filled games. Uh, Christian, I want to hear... Uh, I want to ask you about uh, the next experiment that I started, and that is the robot umpire experiment this year. The low A Southeast will be will be using an automated ball strike system uh, to call balls and strikes. I can only assume that you'll you'll be seeing some time with the Reds low A affiliate, the Daytona Tortugas. So you could very well be a guinea pig for this experiment. What do you think about Robo Ump? Yeah, I think Robo Ump's a very interesting topic because. The strike zone and the catcher's relationship is something that's kind of been around baseball for a long time. A guy who can frame the low pitch, frame the outside pitch, and bring it back in the zone is definitely a bonus if you have it on your team, and it could be against you if you don't. And the robo-ump, I think it's actually going to give more strikes to pitchers. A little controversy there because 
um, the upper zone or the upper of the strike zone, the kind of top half doesn't get pitched to very often. And now it's getting pitched to more often. Guys like JV, um, Garrett Cole really utilize that top half. And it's kind of a hard pitch for umpires to call just because traditionally the curveball down, the changeup down, stuff like that is more um, traditionally called. But now guys are using the curveball up and different sequencing um, of their pitches. And so I think that it's actually going to increase the number of strikes called. The only thing that I don't like about it is that um, hitters aren't going to know, pitchers aren't going to know what's called until two or three seconds after. So if you get rung up, you're sitting there for two or three seconds, and then they're ringing you up. I think it's actually um, going to slow the game down in a little essence and maybe kind of break up a guy's momentum if it's kind of like a practice simulated game. I also saw that that it they also experimented it with the in the Atlantic League in nineteen and the disastrous part about it were were the uh, were the breaking balls that were just sweeping out that's of the zone I, late. That's what I was just about to touch on because they brought it up in spring training <laughs> last year, and we're sitting there playing with it like on all our bullpens we're throwing to you know track man and all that stuff and it's telling you ball or strike and hitters are taking them and like there'll be pitches where you might bounce a say you have a big loopy curveball and you bounce it behind home plate, that thing might just nick that bottom of the zone and they're going to call it a strike. And so, like, I think in a way it could work to our advantage as pitchers if you learn how to use it. But then again, no one's going to learn how to use it until it officially, you know, becomes a game-wide. Until the technology's perfected. Yeah, right? yeah. well, until every every league uses it instead of just one. So, I, I mean – I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what happens when just doing it in one league, like, you know, moving in and out of that league, too. Like, you might learn to pitch one way to help you and then have to fix it once you move up. Okay, last question about the rules, and, and this is for the both of you. They're continuing to speed up the pace of, base, of baseball games. Pitchers will now have 15 seconds to begin their windup or come to a set position from the stretch. Down from 20 seconds last year, d- does the game really need to speed up? Um. We actually had this in college, too. Christian, how long was that? Yeah, I think it's like 15, 20 seconds in college from the time that you get the ball back to the time you initiate um, out of the stretch or mm-hmm. wind up. And, and, and the, I don't know, I'm not sure if this is how it worked in college, but the batter will need to be attentive, too, with eight yes. seconds left or it's an auto strike. Yeah, yeah. Same thing like if the pitcher takes too long, automatic ball. But so when, like, at A&M pitching with that clock, you never – if you're a fast-paced pitcher, which is how we were coached, to pitch, you you never even thought about it, honestly. Um, the only time it would get stressful is if you couldn't see a sign at night or something. You know, you have to use one of those mound visits or timeouts. Um, but, like, if you're in a groove, I don't think it's that – it's not anything to worry about. You know, you're rolling, you're going. I mean, I'm, I'm, I think I'm usually, like, eight seconds between pitches, something. Yeah, I don't think it's that big of a deal. Honestly, I think it's a plus because – there's nothing worse than the pitcher that walks all the way down halfway to home plate, gets the ball, walks all the way back <laughs> around, wipes his cleats, gets the rosin, looks around. Like Nobody wants to watch that guy pitch. Um, even if he is electric, Like if it's a minute between each pitch, like you're going to get bored out there because the game is slower than other traditional games, especially with – um, the way just kind of the world transitioning, like people want to see an up-paced game. They want to see things happen. And, like there's obviously games inside of the game, but nobody wants to see the guy who takes forever and wipes his cleats off and does all that kind of stuff. Licks his hand. Yeah. yeah. And honestly, like as a pitcher, 
I, I want to give the hitter as few amount of seconds as he can have between pitches so he doesn't have time to sit there and process what's coming next or how's he going to finish out this at-bat. So I think as a pitcher, if I were a pitcher that had a slower pace, slower rhythm, I would I would kind of use it to my advantage too and try and be aggressive and just keep pumping at him. Yeah, no, 100%. Like, especially with um, high-level scouting reports and stuff like that, you're going to have tendencies that you may not even know about Well. If the guy doesn't even have time to think about, oh, well, 2 twos, throwing sliders outside corner for a strike 75% of the time, I have a 75% chance of getting this pitch later in the season. Like, if you don't have time to process that and think about that with all the other stuff that's going on within the game, you have another advantage because um, chances are, like, the scouting reports are so advanced now, they have a good idea of what you're going to throw in certain counts in certain locations. And, like, just speeding it up and letting the game speed up for the hitter is just another advantage, just like John said. Let's rewind a bit. <clears throat> Y'all both picked to stay in state out of high school and attend Texas A&M with full confidence that it would take you to the next level. H- how do y'all look back at that decision now? Uh, I mean, I loved it. Um, you know, freshman year was crazy. You know, you get you're performing at the highest level in college baseball in the SEC, and it's kind of overwhelming. But I mean, once you learn how everything works, the schedule, all that stuff, man, you just put the gas pedal down and go, man, like just kind of roll with it. And I think, I mean, I, I would, I would never change my decision. It was awesome. I enjoyed it. You know, we, our family has a lot of history at A&M, so I don't know if I had much of a choice to go anywhere else, but I mean, definitely like the coaches there, coach Childress. Uh, I mean, I st- still talk to him all the time. You know, he's one of my mentors for life. And I mean, I'm, I wouldn't change that for the world. Yeah. I mean, a little different story. Me coming out of high school, my mom went to UT, my dad didn't go to college. So like, for me, my parents kind of thought I would go to UT, um, and that was an option for me. And I just kind of end up falling in love with uh, the program and Coach Childress and kind of the way that he handled himself as a man and a coach. And same thing, he's one of my life mentors and a guy I know I can call on for anything, and so I wouldn't change that. But going in, I mean, I I never knew I'd be playing professional baseball. My freshman year, I totally sucked. I think I was <laughs> I think I was the 34th at 35th player on the team, like – the guy, or I was 35 out of 36, sorry. The number 36 couldn't throw the ball to home plate. That's the only reason I was still on the team. And so um, I, I remember going to my exit interview, and, my, and our coach, Coach was being like, man, I can't believe that you're still on the team. Like, tell me. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I've just kind of, you know, playing and um, never really knew I'd be playing professional baseball. Kind of just worked hard at it and see where it took me. And, you know, now we're here. So Christian, even through through those first couple weeks, because I know we know a lot of guys that that uh, you know that that go to college on to play on a on a baseball scholarship, and um, you know if you're kind of in the lower level of guys committed, it's very easy to get cut right off the bat, right? How how did you uh, maybe face that adversity or overcome that challenge? Because I mean, as Childress said, you know, he couldn't believe that you you were still there. Yeah, I mean. It was something I had to take upon myself and kind of Coach Childress and I remember Coach Mack, um, who's our strength and conditioning guy, was just kind of like kind of inspired me to take it upon myself because they said like they couldn't do it for me. Um, so just a lot of hard work, a lot of early mornings, lifting late nights after games, um, throwing bullpens in the net, throwing weighted balls to try to you know increase some velocity that I was missing or just to try to work on this or that. Whatever way I could get on the field, um, was kind of what I did because otherwise there was no way I was going to be there next year. And I, I really liked AM. I really liked the coaches. Um, I wanted to get that degree 
and get my Aggie ring and everything. So what was most important to me was just being able to stay on the field because no matter what, I wasn't going to transfer or anything like that. And Christian, we're staying with you. How do you anticipate life on the road compared to college? Uh, you know, and, and how is a former teammate like John, who has a year under his belt, help you prepare for this? Yeah, I think it's going to be different, obviously. Um, going to spring training and then going to some place I've never been with a bunch of people I've truthfully never met. Like I, I'm walking into spring training day one, and that's day one of my job after getting drafted nine months ago or something like that. Um, and so it's going to be different. It's exciting, obviously, because you're walking into a new environment with new guys and a new situation, a chance to uh, kind of live out a lifelong dream. But it's going to be different, and, you know, there's going to be some things I'm not used to and some things that, you know, I'm a little questionable about maybe. In uh, A&M, we flew private everywhere, so I think, <laughs> yeah. think eight-hour bus rides are probably not up my sleeve. But, you know, we'll put on some uh, – some, uh, headphones a little eye mask or something like that and get some snooze but we'll see i'm excited for it john how do you manage your downtime during the season as a pitcher because i find it almost impossible to imagine that you can function without fishing or hunting oh uh, well yeah i mean i take my fishing rods with me so you know any off day we're trying to catch something but it'll be uh, nice being in tampa too yeah 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 uh, last spring training i found some good bass spots haven't hit the salt water much yet but you know that's that's one of the goals this year. Obviously, baseball comes first when you're in season. Um, so, I mean, killing time during the season, like all those long bus rides and stuff, man, you just kind of – for me, I just went in a YouTube wormhole, you know, easy to do and a lot of cool stuff on there. Um, and then you try and bond with your teammates as much as you can because, um, I mean, you, you basically spend eight months out of your out of every year with them every second, every minute. And so you get to know them pretty well. And, uh, you know, you just start sharing life stories, all that stuff. And then, uh, honestly, one of my biggest things at entertainment was just meeting all the Latins, you know, that come overseas and play with us. And they're, they're honestly some of the best people you'll meet, just their story and all that stuff. And it's interesting. And then, you know, you pick up a little bit of Spanish, too, and try and become bilingual. But, yeah, man, it's the season's definitely a grind. You get to that point where you might stall out and, you know, you got to find that extra gear. And that's where you kind of just – resort back to your team or even your coaches, man, get close with them. Um, we, the Rays have some great coaches in the organization, like in Hudson Valley, um, our head coach was the man, you know, young guy, high energy, like just kept us going through that long season. And so I think that's another important thing. Um, just, you know, staying connected with your teammates and getting through it together. Yeah. It's probably nice not having any, uh, crabby buck show Walters, uh, running around the uh, clubhouse. <laughs> You two both thoroughly enjoy fishing and hunting when you're away from the diamond. Talk about the connection with being out on the mound versus patiently waiting for a deer, or a du patiently waiting in a deer, or a duck blind, or waiting for a fish to take your bait. Do the two have any symbolic connection? Yeah, I think they do. I think that kind of when you're on the mound, you're in your own world. In essence, you're playing a team game with um, seven guys behind you and one in front, but you take that ball and it's all you on that mound and you have to throw it to the plate. I think it's kind of like, you know, when you're hunting or, or hunting or fishing, you're by yourself, you're out there, you're, you know, there's surroundings, but like you're, it's you, the bait, whatever, but it's just you. And so like that mental anticipation, always being ready and things like that um, translate. Also just hunting, fishing, the ability to just get away from everything um, during season kind of, to piggyback off what John said, just getting away from the game and 
being able to be still and kind of think and not have all these external distractions are, are what really attract me to hunting and fishing. Just being able to kind of be out there with nature and be still with it because nature is so present and, you know, everything with technology, everything is so future and yesterday, well, nature, it's just every single day you're out there with it. And so I think just getting away from the game and being able to think and kind of hit that reset button, what's important. Yeah. And I, I, I too think baseball and the outdoors go hand in hand. Cause I mean, you think about it, baseball is like adrenaline for three outs, go sit on the bench for us for three outs and kind of calm and then do the same thing, hopefully seven or eight times a game. And so, I, I mean, when you're hunting and fishing, you get that, you know, you hook into a good fish, you've got a nice wad of ducks finishing over you. Like there's that adrenaline for that, however long it's happening. And then in between innings or in between like catching a fish or shooting ducks, like there's that calm time just to like chill and like kind of reset, you know? And so I, I definitely think they go hand in hand. I thoroughly enjoy, enjoy both. Um, and that's what, I mean, you know, I spend my off season doing that along with baseball. And so, I mean, yeah, it's, it's definitely a good balance. Um, you know, towards the end of the season, as you're trying to make that playoff push, you know, it, you're thinking about the hunting and fishing just cause you know, it's what you've been looking forward to, but you know, you got to remember that baseball always comes first. It's our job. And so we try to try not to do too much hunting and fishing, take away from baseball. So you guys both run fantastic, fantastic personal social media pages. John and, and Christian are two of the more uh, informative and welcoming following, followers uh, on social media. Uh, you also do a great job of marketing brands that you're partnering, partnering up with. How have you all been able to take advantage of the new age of self-branding? Yeah, I think it's really important um, just as minor leaguers and guys kind of who aren't in the big spotlight yet to build that foundation of your social media and your online presence because nowadays when you say someone's name, the first thing they kind of go to instead of Google is their Instagram or their Twitter or whatever it is that you're on. And so kind of building that good foundation and showing that you can add value online and you kind of can be transparent from your life is what social media is, is really important for. And also, like, you want to be ready for that time you make to the big leagues. You have that big-time year where you kind of blow up on social media and you don't have to scramble to figure out what you're going to post about. Like, if you have an idea of what you like to do, how to capture it, and then put it on social media, it can be a really good marketing tool, not only for yourself, but the brands maybe you want to partner with or a future business or something like that. Yeah, and, I mean, how I see it is um... – man, I just post stuff that I believe in and that I think is cool. You know, it's kind of, it's, you got freedom of speech and, you know, it, it just, all, a lot of guys kind of blast themselves a lot and whatnot and, you know, all like good for them. Uh, I've got nothing against it, but yeah, just my point of view is like, I'm just going to post the stuff I believe in and the stuff I like to do, you know, keep it that way. Everyone sees me transparent and knows it's welcoming. Yeah. It's welcoming. And, you know, if someone, if you have, Someone that has the same interest, you know, it's easy to see and whatnot. And, uh, I mean, honestly, Christian does a great job with it, and I kind of piggyback off him most of the time. And, you know, we sh- or share ideas. I use his ideas. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think it's a great tool uh, if you can be engaging and whatnot. And, you know, it, it hopefully it pays off in the long run. As, as avid <clears throat> outdoorsmen and athletes, music and good sound is very important, whether it's hunting, fishing, or working out. Good sound is key to staying focused to the task at hand. 
Y'all's partnership with TurtleBox is extremely exciting because it has filled the void of looking for a speaker that can produce the best sound on the planet, not just for athletes or outdoorsmen, but for anyone looking to enjoy their music in a better way. This is truly not your average speaker. Take listeners through the journey with TurtleBox and how the partnership came about. So I uh, have a good buddy, um, JJ Gustafson, who works for Lifetime Decoys, and I use their stuff duck hunting. And so we've just become really good friends through that. And one day I was at my house in Houston, and JJ called me. He's like, hey, man, um, he lives up in Dallas. He's like, hey, man, TurtleBox Warehouse is in Houston. Uh, you mind go picking up speakers? And I had heard about them and thought they were sweet and, you know, really great product. And I was like, sure, man, I'll go up there. And I go up there, you know, meet the guys, um, four founders um, that are running the show. And, I mean, they're welcoming, open arms, all that stuff. And, you know, we just kept building that relationship and whatnot because then backtracking to um, using stuff I believe in, stuff that's a great product. You know, you either buy it once or buy it three times. And this is that product you buy once. And a man from the get go is just a game changer. Like we carry those things to the blinds. Aroa has one he always ha- has out on the water. Um, but they're, they're unbelievable. And uh, so we were like, you know, let's help grow turtle box, make it more diverse, get it into baseball a little bit. And so we actually, Aroa headed up a kind of a video that we launched on Instagram, you know, throwing a 98 mile power fastball at it. And it, it took it like a champ was playing music after and uh not even a dent no no i mean those, not even a mark no they're they're indestructible it actually put a rip in the baseball yeah it did tear the baseball yeah <laughs> but i yeah i'll let roa touch on that more yeah i mean i remember john said he's kind of started working with turtle box and he would bring the speakers out or we, or we'd be duck hunting and he'd throw them in the bay or whatever and i was like man these things are really cool um and also like any group setting there's always usually music right and so like us and so many of us around us like we want to be outside we want to be hanging out with friends outside just because um we're inside so much and so like when i saw that thing i was like man that thing's really cool and then it's waterproof it's dustproof it's pretty much indestructible and like the battery lasts forever i was like man this thing is a really high quality product i don't understand why it's kind of not in everybody's home or everyone's not taking on the road and so um we just kind of had a meeting kind of talked about some marketing ideas. And then one of my buddies, Holden Markoff, who does a lot of um, marketing for me, is my marketing manager. He just started a marketing company called CTA Marketing. And so kind of what he specializes in is bringing people to brands and kind of making the brand awareness go up and then got people, you know, kind of interact with the brand, see what they're all about, see kind of the behind the scenes things, um, not just the speaker, but their culture and kind of what those guys are about. And so we really just strove to kind of bring out that culture in Turtle Box and be like, hey, these speakers aren't just something that makes music. It's something that brings people together. It's something that's indestructible. It's something that an everyday person can use. All right, both of y'all, this year's walkout song, what's it going to be? <laughs> well, unfortunately, I think it's a rule with the Rays, but, dude, I don't even think we get walk-up songs, honestly, like until you make it up. I know, it's it's – uh, well, you have, you have to have one pick just in case. I mean, what, what are we thinking? Cody Jinks always, dude. Come on. I mean, I would keep the same one as uh, college, Cody Jinks' Fast Hand. Uh, you know, it's it's kind of a chill song, but the meaning behind it's kind of like gets you ready to go, gets you pumped up without, you know, hyperventilating and whatnot. But, yeah, it's a good tune. Yeah, I have no idea with the Reds, obviously, but um, 
in college, my dad actually was like in the car one day, and I was showing him some walkout songs. He's like, "No, why don't you just do We Will Rock You' by Queen?" I was like, "That is so cheesy." <laughs> but uh, I ended up doing it for the four starts I had as a junior, and the crowd loved it. And I mean, I don't care. I usually don't even hear it, but probably We Will Rock You just because I think it's so cheesy. And if anyone is going to make happy, it's my dad. I think it's hilarious. Yeah, the the ultra cheesy songs, I feel like, just don't get picked a lot. I told Jimmy this year to do Run Through the Jungle by Clarence <laughs> Creekwater. You know, yeah, da, 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 yeah, da. Like, it goes crazy. People don't want to do it. I like that. We will rock you, Christian Roa. All right, pregame superstitions. Man, I'm a chill guy. Like, I I like to joke around and stuff, like, people when people would try and take me seriously like not talk to me or something then i just start thinking too much um so yeah man i'm always like before the game i'm running around i'm out usually out watching bp just doing something to keep my mind off the game you know trying to stay relaxed um and i i think it helps because you know you're going to be stressed for what are you pitching for two hours most of the time and so you try to just relieve as much stress as you can before yeah, um, usually the night before I, I get pretty excited and it's hard for me to go to sleep. And then the morning of, I'm kind of locked in um, for the day. But for me, same thing. Um, I just like try to be as relaxed as possible, try to do a little reading um, and just kind of mellow myself out before the game, look over some scouting reports maybe yeah. one more time. But nothing too serious. Um, Your relaxing is a little different than mine. I remember you always had headphones in. Yeah, yeah. I just like to have headphones in, kind of chill. I don't really want to um, interact too much just because that's just kind of how I get into my game day mode and get ready to go out there just kind of by myself and um, get ready to go out there and compete. John, who's who's your biggest influence growing up? Oh, man. It's funny. When you're getting scouted your draft year by all these scouts they ask you so who's your who's your role model and all this stuff and I I would I thought about it quite a bit and I would look at him and be like you know what man like I honestly couldn't tell you you know Randy Johnson I would bring his name up every now and then um just based off the stud he was you know I mean one thing I always remember is when he hit that dang bird yeah yeah Y'all both love shooting birds. Yeah, blew the bird up, dude. And so I think that, honestly, that kind of stuck with me. And he was always big dude on the mound, big presence. And so I, I guess I'd have to say Randy Johnson. You know, he was gritty and just kind of like once he towed the rubber, he didn't want to come off that thing. Um, and so I'd probably say Rand, or yeah, Randy Johnson. Yeah, I kind of have. A uh, weird answer to this one. Just growing up, I remember my dad always told me, like, don't pick one person um, to always follow because obviously every person has their good things and their bad things. He's like, just create this person five years from now that you want to be, and that's who your role model is. Like, create the person, the man, the uh, the brother, the sister, the son, the daughter, the person who – goes out there and whatever you do just create that person be like hey that's my role model because every day that's who i want to be five years down the road ten years down the road and so like for me that's kind of been like a tradition to myself is like who do i want to become and who do i want to be down the road and that's who i become as my metaphorical role model because obviously you're gonna have people who you take advice from mentors who you um seek for cheap advice because they've been there done that but for me, like the guy who I want to become, I guess, is myself down the road, you know? The man in the mirror. Right. All right, last one. Best moment as an Aggie. Here we go, John. 
Man, probably SEC tournament for, or sophomore year because I was nervous going into that game. My freshman year, Childress gave me the start, our first game at the SEC tournament, and, man, I canned that thing. First inning was fine. I go out and walk a bunch of batters, and we ended up losing freshman year. And so going into that, because we were in a big spot, we needed to win some games to make the tournament. And I was – I think I pitched the third game the quarterfinals, and we're going up against Casey Mize, who we all know who that is. The guy's a stud. Honestly, I, if you went back to role model, you know, he's a little younger, but, dude, that guy can pitch. Um, and so earlier in the season, Casey, we're, we go to Auburn, we're going up against Casey Mize. I didn't pitch against him that time, but this guy threw, I don't know, he struck out 15 and maybe gave up one hit. We didn't have a chance. And so we're going in this game like, dang, boys, we really got to bring it today, and I remember warming up in the bullpen, and it was just, like, bouncing everything in, like, just brutal. And I was like, God, I hate this stadium. And so I just go out there, and I'd been working on a slider all year that was real inconsistent. And, man, for some reason, it just clicked that game. I went, I think, seven and two-thirds, 12 Ks, three hits, and ended up beating Casey Mize, which is, you know – it's hard to do. I don't know how many times he lost in college, but I bet you could probably put it on one hand. Um, and so, I mean, that was probably my biggest moment because um, it was the nightcap. There was – or I actually had a no-hitter going in the seventh, and there's Auburn. You know, we're in Alabama at the in Hoover, and there's Auburn fans everywhere, and they're holding up signs saying, you have a no-hitter, stuff like that. And I don't know. It was just cool atmosphere. And, um, I mean, the team – our team was just energetic that game. Our hitters were on, like – it just all clicked, man, and that's one I think will stick with me forever. Would you say that was like your first big, big time, like really seizing a moment? Oh, no doubt, no doubt. Because you know, I was I wasn't very consistent my sophomore year, and that game kind of just this where I took that next step. Honestly, I think and carried over into junior year. Christian, yeah, I would say as a team moment, I would agree with John. Probably the same thing. Um, just because we won an SEC tournament, we were like, dang boys, like we're about to break our um, A&M streak of going to the postseason if we don't really turn this thing on because all year we just kind of either pitched ourselves or made errors or did something. We ran ourselves out of a lot of games, and so we are just like, hey, we, this is now or, now or never kind of deal. And so we ended up going to the semifinals, um, losing to Ole Miss, I believe, like we always did in SEC tournament, <laughs> it felt like. Um, but that was an amazing team moment just because we kind of came together and took down – um, we always joke with John. It's like David and Goliath going against Casey Mize. <laughs> I said that this week. I was yeah. like, we were talking about who are we? Ta- we were talking with Bedford. Yeah, we were something. talking about. Yeah, a Cole memory Bedford. came up with a picture, and I was like, dang, this is the day David took down Goliath because Casey Mize won Golden Spikes that year. Pretty sure. Either it was, Adley Rushman, I think. No, Adley won it draft. Oh, year. then uh, the guy from Cal, Young. Maybe I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, Casey had a crazier year. Or Vaughn, Vaughn. Yeah, maybe. Uh, yeah, yeah. Andrew, uh, or Casey Andrew, won it his sophomore year, I think. Cause Andrew Vaughn. Yeah, Andrew yeah. Vaughn. But anyway, I mean, Casey, anyways, you took him down. Yeah, and like I no nothing against Casey. Like that dude is unreal. But man, that's my moment. Like, I mean, Ro, you got to have a pitching moment. Yeah, definitely pitching moment. Um, sophomore year, we're open up against Vanderbilt. And we lose the first game, and then second game we end up winning in the ninth inning. Cam Blake hits a triple um, to tie the game, and then Jonathan Dukoff, I think, walks it off 
with the base hit to left field. And going into Sunday, I just become the Sunday starter because our Sunday starter got hurt and I was in the bullpen. So at the time, they were saying this is the greatest college baseball team of all time, mm-hmm. um, which it ended up kind of being. They were ranked number one in the country, and I was like, oh, boy, here we go. <laughs> here we, um, go. we pretty much were out of pitching. And so Childress was just like, all right, we'll see what you can do. You were banged up a little bit too, so we didn't yeah. even know how long you could go. Yeah, I was banged. My uh, I had a pull. I pulled something in my forearm. I could only extend my arm like forty five degrees. So, um, and then I end up going out there pitching seven inning shutout, and then we win the game, win the series against Vanderbilt. But it was just a good feeling because it kind of gave us some momentum to go through the season. Um, we ended up not hitting to a great standard that year, um, but. That was a definitely a good moment and kind of rallied us. We ended up being the only series loss that Vanderbilt had that year when they went on to win the national championship. Yeah, they were they were stacked. It, it was like – because I pitched against them Friday night, and it was like you could not breathe. Each hitter could put the ball out of the park, oh, do, yeah. do anything with the ball, and that's what – I was like, Ro, man, you got the stuff, dude, just execute. And, I mean, it was – it was probably my favorite game watching Christian because this man was like throwing darts. Whatever you called, he was getting it there, and he had every pitch working. Could do you have four or five pitches then? Yeah, I had four pitches working. They had JJ Bleday, who ended up being the fourth overall pick to the Marlins, and I just threw him changeup after changeup after changeup, and he couldn't touch it. And then they had Austin Martin, who goes fifth overall to the Blue Jays. Yeah. Um, and I actually pitched against Kumar Rocker, who's probably going to be the first overall pick this year. Yeah. And so uh, me and John could both possibly have taken down first overall picks, future first overall <laughs> picks. Not sure and Mize. And yeah, Mize. So, yeah. so that moment almost brought you all together a little yeah, bit, too. Yeah, because Kumar – I mean, Kumar's unbelievable, too. Yeah. I mean, that guy – when he pitched against us, we were – we were like, damn, this is Kumar. Like, this guy's legit. And he had a bad day like every pitcher does. But you go watch him now. I mean, that game he had last year, or what not, like the year before. And no, it was that year. It was later that year. He yeah, pitched against he, he threw a no-hitter against Duke with 19, 19 strikeouts. Dude, like, we just got his bad day. You you don't want to face Kumar on his good day. Let's just say that. Yeah, right. he ain't. Well, guys, listen, I appreciate y'all coming in here. I really I really loved having John and Christian in here. And, and stay in touch with them. You can go follow John on Twitter at DocSackisJohn and on Instagram at John underscore DocSackis. You can go follow Christian on Twitter and Instagram uh, at ChristianRoa24. And before we get out of here, let me tell you again why you need to go to TurtleBox's website and, and purchase your next speaker at www.turtleboxaudio.com and buy one of the best speakers the market has to offer. Listen, I told you before, Doc started telling me about Turtle Box's speakers about six months ago, and what I like about the guys at Turtle Box is they put this speaker to the test against literally every speaker ever made to make sure no stone is left unturned. In Turtle Box's words, this speaker plays for days. With its monster-sized 9 lithium-ion battery, you and the crew can play 50-plus hours of audio at a comfortable level, or... If you want to completely jam out by the pool, on the boat, construction side, outside playing with your dog, you can crank a turtle box speaker to full blast for six plus hours. And even when you're running low, there's a five-step battery level indicator, so you'll always know how much power is left. Finally, do not worry about the climate you bring your turtle box speaker into. It is completely waterproof, dustproof, and impact resistant. Are you looking for the loudest, most durable, waterproof speaker available Go get your new speaker today at www.turtleboxaudio.com.
Thanks, Will, man. It was awesome. Yeah, thanks for having us on, man. And I get by. We all get by by the grace of God.